Welcome to the Super Fantastic Nerd Hour. It's episode 22. We're talking Edge of Tomorrow. This is Oli Matu, and I'm joined by my wonderful co-host. H.A. Conrad, hello. How's it going, Conrad? Going well. We got Edge of Tomorrow up today. What's in our crossover, uh, Conrad? In our crossover, we are pitting Edge of Tomorrow against Source Code, which film uses deja vu better that'll be an interesting discussion um and we've got a fun top five that i'm surprised we haven't done before it's um top five alien invasion films i know i know so i can't wait to see what's on your list i'm i don't know we may or may not have a mind meld on this one i i think we will at least have one or two in common but i'm i'm kind of curious to see what you put on here yeah, me too. This is a more traditional list for me. I usually have um, a few out, outside the, the norm picks, but today I have very, very norm picks. Right. So we'll, we'll get to it. So, um, Conrad, who knew you would have such a <laughs> so much to talk about with this episode? I think we should probably talk about the beginning, which is um, Edge of Tomorrow. The new film um, starring Tom Cruise, Emily Blunt, uh, directed by Doug Liman. Yep. Uh, Now, was this a film you were at all interested in seeing? No, actually, in fact, when when you had suggested it, I I threw a little bit of a tantrum about (laughs) seeing it. I was really annoyed. And then, you know, you in your very diplomatic way won me over because the reviews were very good. And... I started to hear that as well. And I'll, I will admit to you that part of why I was so reluctant to see this film is that I there, there were a couple of reasons. One is that I felt I saw the trailer for this when we went to see X-Men, I believe. And yeah. it was horrific. And I just was like, <laughs> what? That looks like torture to sit through. Yeah, I just I don't want to pay the money to go and see that film. And there was, the, there was no joy in that trailer. There really wasn't. It, it, it was a trial to watch it. Um, yeah. And then the other piece is that I feel like a, a lot of the uh, Tom Cruise, I I have conflicted feelings about him. And yeah. I also feel like he's been doing a ton of these types of films, Oblivion, which yeah. came out last year. And to me, it looked very similar to that. And I was like, oh, I don't well, know if I want to waste an episode on this. So, ab- Absolutely. And Oblivion, while it was a beautiful film and it had a fantastic score, the, the movie really didn't have much meat to it. And it was a film that was little more than homages to other sci-fi films. And it looked a lot like that. And, and you're wondering, do I want to put down $15, $16, $17 to see Another Tom Cruise light sci-fi, not really that interesting film. Right. Um, so, but I, I also will say that some of the the nicer surprises I've had it, going to to films have been things where I was reluctant to go and see. Reviews started coming out and were positive, and I went to see them and was just totally surprised pleasantly. So, I I put away my tantrumy behavior. <laughs> <laughs> and I went to see this this weekend, and I I can honestly say I'm glad I did. I had a great time. Well, and my experience is similar to yours. Um, I first heard about this film 
I think at San Diego Comic Con last year, it was <clears throat> one of those surprise uh, films that we didn't really expect to see at Comic Con. And I think one of the reasons for that appearance is the film is based on a 2004 Japanese novel by Hiroshi um, Sakurazaka, I believe. Um, All you need is kill. So it's it's this really um, it's based on this really interesting source material that was turned into a manga. Um, and I think that's probably why they came to Comic Con. But when they brought it to Comic Con, Tom Cruise was there, Emily Blunt was there. And they had a, a panel hosted with, by um, Chris Hardwick of Nerdist. Um, it wasn't really that compelling to me. Hmm. Um, it, it seemed like a movie that was, um, you know, at that time Elysium was about to come out. And Elysium seemed to have this kind of interesting exoskeleton, exosuits type of story. And this just seemed to be another version of that. And right. again, this was coming off of Oblivion, which wasn't that great of a film. And in general, like you were kind of alluding to, I've got mixed feelings about Tom Cruise. The guy basically his personal views advocate against what I do in my job every day. So it, it's hard for me to personally support the guy. I, I can enjoy his films and I love Mission Impossible Ghost uh, Protocol. I think that's one of the, my favorite action movies of the last five years or so. So I'll, I'll go enjoy his films. I think he's very good at his craft. Um, but he hasn't really been in too much sci-fi lately that I was interested in. So I think the marketing on this film was very depressing. The trailer didn't make too much sense. Um, they dropped that fantastic name, All You Need Is Kill, and replaced it with such a boring sci-fi um, American name, Edge of Tomorrow. Well, what does that mean? Well, right, and you know, we'll get into this when we talk a little bit more about the film itself, but I think that they missed such an opportunity at marketing this with one of the biggest assets of this film, which is Emily Blunt and yep. her character and her portrayal of this character. I mean, I think that this is what what should be happening in films and with with female main characters and and she is amazing in this. Yeah. Um and I well, and I'm wondering if they had used this used her character or used something with her character a little bit more showing how how completely, you know, I don't want to like ruin too much, but just she was she was just amazing. She's really the I I find her to be really the the star of right. this film. She and was if, she was hardcore and I get I get it. Like it's a Tom Cruise vehicle. You want he is one of those few people that can carry this kind of a, a temple movie, or can he? Well, or can he now we, the, well we can talk about that well, as well. So but. let's let's get into all of this, um, and let's let's do our spoiler alert at this moment. We are going to really get into the plot and the detail of this film. So if you haven't seen it, um, and you if you I, I I think I can speak for both of us where I say um, or when I say if you enjoy science fiction, if you enjoy time travel, check out this film. It is pretty good and it's it is a definitely a summer blockbuster enjoyable yeah. film yeah so with that let's get into our spoilery discussion here and i think the first thing you're bringing up here is um emily blunt mm -hmm. and um how she just really really worked in this film um she dominated this and and yeah. she was such a powerful character she took no prisoners she was not apologetic at all yeah. She was dominant and she like, I mean, quite, she just kicked some butt. Um, and 
just uh, just incredible. She she did what she had to do. She wasn't honestly. This is really what I have been kind of waiting to see. I mean, it it was very Sigourney Weaver esque to me. It was Sigourney Weaver esque. It also reminded me of the Matrix and a little bit of um, the the role of Trinity to Neo as this. Um, I am your mentor. I am your teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this film probably does it a little bit better than um, Matrix One did with that. But uh, I love that we have a character here, a female character who is strong, who is bold, who has um, a really well developed character, even though she's supposedly not the main character but she is the guide here she's the person who's teaching tom cruise how to kick butt and not just tom cruise but she is commanding yeah she is commanding a whole unit she is the icon of this this um she is the the icon of this effort to fight these this invading species. She's the literal icon. She is the figure of the propaganda here to win this war. And I, I hadn't really felt that strength in a female um, military role since Battlestar Galactica with Starbuck. Right. And, and was- the other thing is, she's not, I mean, she is the head, the figurehead of this propaganda but she's walking the walk. She is the real deal here. This is not yeah. just this is not just somebody that they propped up to kind of play. And that, that's why it is disappointing uh, with the marketing. You know, we're coming off of X-Men Days of Future Past, which clearly had Jennifer Lawrence's mystique on the cover featured right next to um, Hugh Jackman's Wolverine um, and also with. Uh, Hunger Games and Jennifer Lawrence again. Um, uh, <laughs> Jennifer Lawrence just commanding. <laughs> just, just Jennifer Lawrence kicking butt, um, taking names. Um, but you, we we have seen that female leads can carry films. Well, they so, can, and I'm wondering if some of this is maybe this is a contractual thing for Tom Cruise because he needs to carry it. Maybe maybe it's some of what the studio views, um, and this can get into. I mean, I guess we can get into it. You know, he he is one of those stars that has this reputation of carrying temple movies. He's had it his entire career. But in the last few years, um, and especially, I think, related to some of the things you were alluding to in his personal life um, and some of the public statements he has made with regard to a lot of things, um, I think that his popularity has waned. Um, and even though he's made some really incredible films like Mission Impossible, Ghost Protocol, and and some of these things, I think I don't I don't know that he and and we can see the results from this past weekend in the in the tallies, which you can blame a little bit on marketing, but maybe it wouldn't have mattered in the past as much mm-hmm. because he was in the film. Um, maybe he's not able to carry it as much anymore. But now, the movie came in. In the United States, in third place with $28.8 million. Uh-huh. That's lower than Elysium, which was also considered to be another failure. It's lower than John Carter, which was considered to be a major failure when it came out. Which um, is kind of sad, because that, that film was actually kind of fun. Yeah, that's, yeah. It really was. Maybe we should talk about that someday. Um, but, well, and it's also lower than Oblivion was last year right. and Pacific Rim. Um, so well, it's, I, I think what struck me after looking at those numbers... And also, let's let's point out. Look at the films that it came behind. It came behind the Fault in Our Stars, the the cancer film. Yeah, like the kids with cancer yeah. going on a journey, appreciating life film. And and what was the other film that it it 
it was like third, correct? Yeah, it was third. Um, what was it behind? Um, but it, it shouldn't be behind anything on a summer no. opening no. weekend with Tom Cruise. Um, but, but, the Fault in Her Stars and uh, Maleficent. Oh, Maleficent. Great. Yep. So, yep. This, but this is the thing. Um, when I'm looking at this marketing and when I'm thinking about Tom Cruise, one of the one of the 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 problems that there has been with Tom Cruise because of some of the comments that he has made um, and some of the the events going on in his his life, um, he he has lost a lot of his female following. Yeah, and so I guess what is a little bit confusing to me is that when they're choosing to market this film. Why not market the Emily Blunt character? I can think of a ton, and I've now rec- actually recommended this to a lot of people, just being like, "She's awesome in it," you know. Like, well, what's cool about what Emily Blunt is? Um, th- there's two movies that stick out in my mind where uh, I really, really thought she did a fantastic job. Uh, Devils Wear Prada is one. That yeah. was the first movie where I really saw her, and I, I enjoyed that film a lot. I thought she played this really fun, sort of evil kind of character who you find endearing in different ways. But then, in, in terms of something uh, the Nerd Hour audience might. Uh, remember is Looper. Um, oh, yeah. She was so awesome in Looper. And uh, the she really played this uh, this mother who was caught in some very complicated, difficult situations, who was trying to protect her son. Um, and the way she did that role uh, really shows you that uh, this is an actor who has a very, very long future ahead in in this genre um, we also saw her in the adjustment bureau which i thought was interesting it wasn't quite there but um i'm a big philip k dick fan so i will i will <laughs> see many of the films based on his stuff I, I still like the adjustment bureau i wish they had done it a little bit better but i i liked her in that i thought you were going to mention the wolfman actually <laughs> i never saw the wolfman <laughs> yeah you can probably take a pass on that one um but she was also in she's been in a lot of like quirky little films like um oh, what was it uh sunshine cleaning uh-huh. Which was really good. Um, she's she has an interesting resume at this point. Um, but I but this is the first time I've seen her be this commanding. Well, so one thing I wanted to talk about is in Entertainment Weekly's review, they said, and I'm quoting here, um, Edge of Tomorrow is being sold to the public as a Tom Cruise movie. But deep down, it's the most feminist summer action flick in years. What do you think about that? Um, I would probably agree with that. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I think he is the main character and, or that's how they try to frame things. But I think she's a great action hero. Yeah. When I think about what I want to see in my characters, um, regardless of gender, regardless of background, I want to see, and we talked about this in our diversity in comics episode. I think that's episode 10 or episode nine of the nerd hour. Um, but it's, I, I want to see agency. Um, the character should exist for a purpose that's independent of the other characters or of the, of the male character of the lead character. Um, they need to have their own arc um, and they need to be able to, um, ha- again, Agency. I think it all comes back right. down to agency and development. And if you look at this character, 
um, this is a pretty darn well-developed character, um, which reminded me, again, I, you and I haven't talked about Pacific Rim too much, um, but the main female lead in Pacific Rim, I also really enjoyed um, that character's independent storyline of of the male lead and that character's agency and the lack of romance in that film. And one of the criticisms I have here is, um, I believe towards the end of the film, that Emily Blunt's character, she kisses Tom Cruise's character. Mm-hmm. And, and that didn't really click for me. You know, Tom Cruise is the one who has been um, been respawning over and over and over again. He's the one who's developed this relationship with Emily Blunt's character, not the other way around. So that didn't really ring true. And we can get to the ending. I, I think we're probably going to have a lot to say about that. But overall, I thought her character is one of the more memorable characters of this summer uh, blockbuster season. Yeah, and I would agree with you on that. I was, and I thought she was fantastic. That said, there weren't a really a lot of other female characters in this that I was impressed with. So they did a great job with yeah. her, but then I think they failed in some of the supporting roles, um, specifically with the uh, the unit that that Tom Cruise's character is placed in. There yep. is one female member of that unit, and it's totally stereotyped to the yep. max. So it's sort of like, yes, on one hand, you have Emily Blunt, and I am so happy, very happy about that. But it's like, okay, you did so well with this character. Why did you fail so horribly? With this other lone female character that you just kind of threw in there and gave some really throwaway stereotypical lines. Yeah. You know, so that bothered me a bit, but I'll, you know what, but hey. So this is... This is one of those things, Conrad, where, um, you know, a lot of people, they're the go to measure um, of uh, of representation of women in movies is the Bechdel test, which is really are there is there a female character? Is there more than one female character? Do they talk to each other? And is that conversation independent of of uh, agency related to male characters or relation to male characters? Right. And this film would fail that test, I think. But mm-hmm. that's where I think the Bechdel test is not the end all of um of uh, of gender based examinations of movies it also gets down to the question of agency um and does the character exist for a purpose that's independent of the male characters so i i i agree with you it's complicated here there's not much representation however the emily blunt's character the representation there is really fa- fantastic Right. So, and again, they didn't use it enough in marketing. Yeah. And it's sort of confusing as to why why they didn't because, you know what? People probably would have gone to see it. She 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 just kicks some butt in this film. Well, um, so let's so let's let's talk about the the larger film here. We haven't sure. even dived into the the premise. Um, right. So we we've got this deja vu premise. We've seen this in Groundhog's Day. We've seen this in Source Code. We'll talk about that in a bit. Um, there's a great Star Trek Next Generation episode that's mm-hmm. like this cause and effect. So um, what what you think of the way they they did the premise here? Um, I think they did a pretty good job. I mean, they didn't go delve too deeply into it and they you know i I don't you know as with many films like this they don't explain too much because they don't want you to go into too much thought about it i think um but the main premise of this is that the character john tom cruise plays is um major cage and he is a basically he's an ad guy who does propaganda and he's the one going around selling the story and has been told that he is going to be filming 
the big battle um, and, and acts of heroism on the, uh, basically be in the line of fire. And he doesn't want to do that. Um, so the general um, that has put him in this position is like, all right, fine, and has him arrested and carted off to the base camp um, where they are prepping for this big um, military D-Day like yeah, invasion. It, it's absolutely D-Day. It's, it's D-Day with aliens. It's D-Day, yeah, it's D-Day uh, version which, 2.0. Which, you know, I, I will say, I went to the film with my partner, Bill, and, and he pointed out that because they used a lot of the visuals, they used D-Day visuals. So basically, they didn't need to explain all that much because people understand D-Day and what kind of destruction that means. Yeah, so I, I, it was actually a very clever use of that kind of um, like that. Those visuals was just a very smart way to do it. And I liked I, I, I did like how that was done. It it did at moments remind me of Saving Private Ryan and mm-hmm. the, the invasion that you see right there, which which I think, you know, again, this is one of the things that um, the film does well is it didn't necessarily glorify violence or warfare um and you know this is where the marketing is so off that some of the marketing kind of played up the the awesomeness of these exosuits and you see in the film that they're bulky they're clumsy they they fail sometimes they're don't not sometimes a lot of times they're hard to they're hard to use it's um they i think that they took away a lot of the humanity in the trailers um yeah, and things that would have made this a very interesting film for people to see, or why it was different. Maybe they just couldn't get it across in the trailers. I, I would love to know who was in charge of this plan. <laughs> um, but in any case, uh, you know, so Tom Cruise is is forced into the situation. He's never actually been in combat, so there. I mean, he he's added in to this unit. They're they're pretty much stuck with him, and they all make it very clear in the Bill Paxton character. Um who is the the sergeant um which is amazing i know he's so good he's, he's really good he's very bill paxton um he's got some great he's got a great speech uh no sir i'm from kentucky yeah uh, just he he plays um uh, he, you know the battlefield is the great crucible it, i feel just, like he's playing a little tommy lee jones don't you <laughs> um and but he you know they're all pretty much like okay this guy's dead weight he's probably gonna die we're not even gonna tell him how to take yeah. the safety off of his suit yeah. um, because we're afraid he's going to kill us. Like, that's how so bad he is. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they, they, he gets thrust into this whole combat situation. And what happens is that he sees the Emily Blunt character die. Yeah. Um, and then shortly thereafter, um, is the aliens are just attacking. And I think that the first peak of the aliens is really interesting. You don't yeah, really nice see reveal. them. It's yeah. a nice reveal. They're kind of coming up through the sand. Eventually they do look like Calamari, <laughs> much like the matrix <laughs> yeah. and things like that. But initially yeah. you're kind of like, okay, that's kind of a cool visual. And he basically pulls a, gr- a grenade or an explosive and kills himself in a very face melty, horrible looking scene yeah. and gets the blood of, of this alien over him. And then it flashes back to immediately to the scene where he had been waking up at the base camp. 
And this is this is where everything really gets started. And, and we learn this premise that he's locked in this um, time loop that every time he dies, he comes back to this very point. It's because of the way these aliens work and their larger plot is to use time to understand their enemies strengths and to figure out how to destroy their enemies. And right. He's killed one of their time, whatever time agent, bandits, time bandit people. <laughs> and this is where I thought the film um, took went in an interesting direction where it really is playing on this video game idea of respawning. Mm-hmm. And it's not an idea that's unique to the movie. It's coming from the source material. All you need is kill in the, um, in the novel and the afterward, uh, the author, um, says, um, I reset the game hundreds of times until my special attack finally went off perfectly. Um, and he talks about how he plays video games and he plays them over and over and over again um, until he can, he's kind of mastered it. And he liked that idea and he wove that into his story and that got played into um, into the film. And I think it's it's it, very clear to me. I mean, just even as you're watching it, it's very it feels very video game like because there are obstacles he needs to overcome every time it gets reset. He has a little bit more knowledge about how to okay this is what i need to do next and even in the the training sense he's picking up new skills he's picking up new information yeah. um it is a very like and visually it is a little especially when they are um in the field of combat it feels very like it feels like a, a first person shooter game yeah totally and you know we've seen we've seen directors try to do some things like this in the past and i, th- I think the, the example that comes into my mind most clearly is ang lee and his hulk film really tried to uh, try to play on ideas of a comic book being played out uh, visually in a film and yeah, I, I think it was an interesting effort doesn't really work out too much but i, I appreciated the creativity there and what our director uh, Doug Lyman has done in this film um, has is really kind of um, play out. Okay, how if this was a video game, how would you show that in a film? And it, it does that in a way where it's also it takes away from some of the tedious elements of a video game where you do respawn at the beginning of a level and you have to jump through everything. It's almost like. The more times he respawns, he um, his save point gets moved forward and forward and forward, so we don't necessarily have to see everything. Right. But but there's also like this is where the film you know we're talking about the military side of it, and it, it's it speaks to the horrors of war and how machinery is not all sexy and glorified and all of that. But then there's also a ton of humor, and one of the scenes where he's he's having to do push ups and he's trying to escape, and, and he one gets time killed. He, he gets killed, and then you see the sergeant's reaction. Oh, why'd you got to do that, Cage? Well, and honestly, you know, every time he and he trains, once he he figures out that Emily Blunt knows what's going on because she had the same thing happen to her, um, yeah. which is basically the blood of this creature allows humans to reset the timeline, like yeah. the main the main alien. Um, he has to train with her and has to gain this knowledge. Um, and basically every time he breaks a leg in training or whatever, she resets him yes. and it becomes, <laughs> yeah, and it's yeah. totally dark and it is totally dark, but it is 
humorous, which you're kind of laughing. You're like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I'm laughing at this, you know. And that reminded me of um, Ramis's uh, uh, Groundhog Day. Yeah. And there's there's you know, that film is much more about existentialism. It's it's much more about this. It is about character development, but it's the character search for meaning. And there is a dark humor side to that when that character falls in despair about right. not being able to break out of this day, what he starts to do to try to get himself out of the situation. It's a dark humor. And I felt that same type of dark humor when Emily Blunt's character was like, ah, you broke your leg. We're not going to waste our time. Boom. Right. Um, and it resets. Um, it, 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 it's, um, it's surprisingly funny. And none of that was really in the marketing again like you uh, you said this very beautifully the humanism the humanity of this film was stripped from the marketing mm-hmm. which makes me think who do they what are they, what do they think of the public <laughs> you yeah, know uh, <laughs> and i i really i get it in some ways but and i get that for a film like this it is difficult to convey what it is trying to do but I feel like it, it could have been done a lot better than this. Well, and the, it, then that trailer, that trailer I saw, I was like, seriously, just I couldn't believe I was like, really? This is just painful. Well, and there's there's a few elements, too, where Tom Cruise's humanity is done really well, especially in the beginning of the film where he's clueless. He doesn't really know what he's doing. It's one of the first times we see Tom Cruise playing a character who is not a traditional Tom Cruise action hero who doesn't who finds himself really um, being uh, clueless and helpless. Uh, Also, that's interesting. Cowardly. How, absolutely <laughs> like like the fact this this is not a hero in, in yeah. the beginning portions of this film he is looking to save his own but and um you know and, and he develops but that's part of the fun of it is that he develops out of this out of this different place than you normally see and, and a tom cruise what- character in that's that's cool to see tom cruise in that element it's also cool to see that aspect of video games coming to life a lot of times you play a video game and maybe you're a stormtrooper in a star wars video game who's just a random stormtrooper and then you develop and you end up becoming the most powerful sith lord in the empire right Right. it's these stories of a um everyday person um growing developing leveling up and becoming something more and that's what this film shows us um right and and that's cool and the other cool thing i really liked how they they made it stay fresh throughout this film yeah and when it could have gotten very stale and and they were able to convey how long this had been going on um, and how tired this this particular character must be similar to bill murray and groundhog day how very tired he must be (laughs) reliving this having to explain having to go and talk to the emily blunt character who always gives him a hard time. Um, I, you know, having to talk to the the scientists, the physicist that had been basically kicked out because he knew. He Who are w- you? You've got two fingers behind your head. Right, right. We, we've had, we've had this conversation before. Skip, skip, skip. Played okay. by played by the great Noah Weil, by the way. Oh who, yeah. who I love. Um, if you've never seen the year my B- voice broke or flirting, you should check it out. 
Well, um, and that that aspect of living the day over and over again, I thought that was really interesting from a psychology standpoint. Where uh, I wrote an article about this about infinite memories um, and what would ha- just as a thought experiment, if you're trapped in this time loop and your consciousness kind of resets back at this one point, um, could you get to the point where you memorize all these details? And the way our memory works, it's really reliant on context and procedures. And I thought the film did a pretty good job. I would say like 80% good job in depicting how this would play out in reality if you can accept the silly premise that this is possible. So that, that part of the film really worked. I also, you know, we, we talked about the aliens a little bit, but I liked the alien strategy. Me too. I thought, yeah, that was cool. Like, okay, let's make them think they're winning. And right. let's let's have them invade all their forces and then we wipe them out. And then and let's that- mess with their heads a little bit more. <laughs> yeah. They think they think they got this over on us too bad. You know, it's like <laughs> this. We'll throw some visions into their heads and they'll think that and they spent all this time trying to to get to the main the alpha alien and and it was a trap. It's a drop. It's a drop. Um, it's a drop. And just, you know, his realization, you know, Cage's realization when he gets there and he realizes that this is just, he has actually been lured to to the place that they want him to be to base, to get him. And and there there will be no destruction of the Alpha. Um, and that, that, I thought, was great. Um, so what didn't work for you? Um, I felt like there were some points where it did get, uh, admittedly, it did get a little tiresome. I felt like it could have been a little bit tighter. I understood what they were trying to convey. Um, And I felt like the pacing in the last battle scene was kind it just didn't match everything else. And it felt like it was it, it was it felt like it was an afterthought. Yeah, well, and, and it was just like, OK, let's OK. Now that we've got them out of this loop, we don't really know what to do with them. So let's just end it like we end every action film. And there were some good moments in it, um, especially toward the end. Are we are we totally spoiling? Or are we leaving a little bit? Yeah, we've given our spoiler alert. OK, um, so, but I just want to throw this out again. Big spoiler. Um, we're going to ruin it right now. Um, I, I liked some of the last scenes with him and Emily Blunt right before they're about to destroy the alien when she basically gives him this total um basically it's this moment of truth where she's like you know neither of us is getting out of here <laughs> like we're both going to die and but we have to do this because we have to save humanity and as you said she kisses him at the end and then they both go to to basically do their hard duty harry potter style um and you know i feel like that ending scene was okay and it was very much a all right now we think he everybody's going to die we're gonna give him a one-up um you know we're we're gonna give him an, an extra life um and they did it pretty you kind of felt it coming but i just felt like the battle scene between when he woke up and realized he was out of the loop to getting to, to the final like confrontation in Paris 
it just for some reason just didn't do it for me. It, well, felt, it felt a little flat. I think we're on the same page here. The, I think the movie, it's, it's not that it fell apart, but it just was not as well paced and as tightly woven together. Once he wakes up in the hospital, once he realizes he's lost that magical touch, um, the film starts to break down. And, you know, as uh, in the research for this episode, I found out that they, um, the director was tinkering with the script six months before production. Production started. They started production without a clear way of knowing how they're going to end the film. Um, that's never, never a good, never idea. A good, good idea. You know, um, I think especially, you guys, kinda... especially not something to do with time travel and time no. repeating. You got to be totally you... tight. It's got to be tight. Um, you guys talked about this on Reanimated, um, your other podcast with uh, World War Z and what what happened with that film and how they had problems with their ending. Um, I think we saw that happen here. And I, I really felt like this, <laughs> it reminded me a lot of playing Halo 2 way back in the days on my um, original Xbox, um, the original Xbox One before we had an Xbox One, um, and how that great was so good until you got to the end and it was just kind of like meh mm. that ending was sort of lackluster and I felt that way here there's um, Hollywood Reporter is, has one of the only negative reviews of the film and they said um, if the Omega is so smart can't it rewind um, can't it rewind when it knows that uh, it's about to die or right before it's about to die so I thought uh, if you start to really think about the ending it doesn't really work that well I, I also I didn't really get how he got from that military hospital back to that camp got that troop got that chopper thing and then kind of went to the Louvre it just the math wasn't working in Mm-mm. my head um, but you know it, I'm okay with that because I enjoyed so much of the rest of the film. Um, we were talking right before the show started about how this ranks up against some of the movies uh, we've seen this season. We compare this to um, a film like Spider-Man, which I was completely bored by. Me too. I wasn't really, yeah, I wasn't bored in Edge of Tomorrow. I, you know what? This was also, it didn't lose its sense of fun. It wasn't one of those sort of muscly blockbuster films. It was a fun blockbuster yeah. yeah. Um, I think that the ending definitely, I mean, I think we're in agreement, it sounds like, but it fell a little flat. The whole premise that like, hey, OK, now we destroy this, this, the the main, the main baddie, whatever it is, controlling everybody and then everything's OK. Um, I, I don't I, I think that that is just very tired and unoriginal and not really what I was expecting from the beginning of the film yeah. i was like i wonder how they're going to end this and i was actually very curious to see how they were going to end it and then when it ended up there back in the same spot that you see with a lot of films <laughs> um <laughs> i was just like oh well but i still had fun and i can still say that i had fun and i would recommend it to people if you just want to go for a fun blockbuster popcorn flick this one is fun well and here's the thing it, it reminded me of why i like tom cruise yeah. As an actor. And I haven't and, liked him in a really, I don't think I've liked him in anything since Ghost Protocol. No, I haven't. And you and I both were listening to the Nerdist interview that came out last week with Tom Cruise. And I think anyone who really has strong feelings about Tom Cruise, um, either, uh, well, anyone who has any feelings about Tom Cruise, it's hard. He's a hard actor to just remain completely neutral <laughs> yeah, towards. I know. But if you want, if you listen to that interview, it's a fantastic interview where 
um, his love of film is revealed and how much he just love. He says, yeah, I watch a film every day. Every day I'm watching or, a film. Or more than one. <laughs> or more than one. And, and he is super, super nerdy about it. He is oh, a super he's nerd. A ner- he's a super film nerd. Uh, and he loves understanding every aspect of how a film comes together and the whole collaborative effort. I, I felt like I learned um, a little bit more about learning, or I learned a little bit more about how films are made by listening to Tom Cruise talk about films. Um, and it, it, it helps me to understand why, when, when he really succeeds as an actor, why he succeeds. Mm-hmm. I, I can imagine him going, okay, so this is, they're using a telephoto lens here. This is what the background's like. This is what the lighting's like. Here's the cinematography. So in this scene, it probably will make more sense if I do play this out in this way. Um, I can see him do those calculations in my in his head because he's such a big film nerd Mm -hmm. so i in this context i really can appreciate the work he does um i think the the film was critically acclaimed for a good reason it's got a little bit of smarts a little bit of fun a little bit of good action it's pinging my sci-fi time travel um nerd alert stuff (laughs) uh it really worked for me and it didn't work for american audiences well and i and i and i'm gonna blame a lot of that on the marketing i really am um and i think some of those issues that we were talking about um you know and and i think a lot of people have seen by now or or knew where where this happened which is basically um i'm going to talk about the elephant in the room which is that you know um tom cruise a few years ago fired his publicist, hired his sister as his publicist, and just started having some very interesting public appearances. Um, And, you know, there's the Oprah jumping couch bit um, that happened, and I think that that caused a lot of things. There was a lot of rumors surrounding his personal life. I don't want to go into that stuff, but, I mean, his... um, he he is in the Church of Scientology, so he is very anti any sort of... um, um, psychologist and psychology, um, and, and therapy related to that as well as and medication as and well as medication. And yeah. I think honestly, I mean, from he, he made a lot of comments about Brooke Shields and her postpartum depression. And I yeah. think that that was really, I think that was like a turning point. Um, so, so I think that the marketing campaign was striving to avoid some of this stuff. Um, and make it very benign and not address any of this. And, and I mean, I, you know, I, I, I don't want to get into it or, or, or pass judgment, but I, I am on, I think you and I are on the same page on this is that it's very hard for me to, to like, I, I feel conflicted over somebody who's making those, those public comments and potentially doing damage in my opinion. So and this gets into a larger debate. We can have some time about, um, can you appreciate the art that someone has been involved in or created? Even if you disagree with their personal views. Exactly. And, well, I, and we talked a little bit about this with the controversy that came up with Brian Singer. And I, I think maybe we should table this and make it a different episode. Yeah. But I am, I mean, I will say listening to the Nerdist, um, podcast, watching this film, just kind of seeing how he's been. I, you know, I, I guess I saw a little bit more of, of the, the star that I had seen before and who knows how much of well, the, that is marketing, but uh, I really actually truly enjoyed listening to the Nerdist interview. And you know, the, the Nerdist, the, the way they do their interviews, they're not 
edited. They're pretty raw. And I think what happened listening to that interview is it brought back some of the humanity of Tom Cruise, mm-hmm. which has really been wiped away. Um, LA Weekly ran a great article about um, his uh um, the jumping on chair Oprah episode and how that also occurred around the time that YouTube was came, coming about and how it was this perfect storm of events that really led it to go viral in a way that things did not really go viral before. So I, I think uh, he's really become uh, he's become less human in the eye of the public because of these events. And this film, along with the Nerdist interview, does humanize him a little bit more. Um, so I want to do a midsummer check-in here, Conrad. We we didn't even we <laughs> barely mention this in our summer movie I think, preview. I think we said something like oh, another Tom Cruise movie. <laughs> we, like pretty much yeah, that's yeah. what we said. And uh, verbatim, I, yeah. I will admit I was wrong. I was so, totally wrong. This was this was a good flick. Is it in your top three so far of the summer? Um. Um, at this particular moment, yes, but I have a feeling that that will change. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't think this is going to be in my top five of the year, but as it is now, um, it is in my top three of the summer. I've got Days of Future Past, number one, Captain America 2, Edge of Tomorrow, number three, um, and I'm quite surprised by it, and sometimes surprises make me a very happy nerd. Yeah, me too. I'm, I'm, I, I actually really like being surprised in this way particularly yep. it's great um so so that being speaking said speaking of surprises surprises do you want to enter the infinite crossover chamber i think I, I do want to enter it and i'm trying to think of a sound effect really quick and um um i don't know that sounded scary <laughs> I don't know what it was. I don't know what it was. Um, maybe I'll do better when I uh, repeat this day over again uh, <laughs> at six in the morning. Um, all right. So today in the infinite crossover chamber, Conrad, what are we debating? Today we are debating um, whether Edge of Tomorrow or Source Code uses deja vu or that kind of a loop in a better way, so which is de- which is more successful. Who's more successful using this deja vu premise? So um, we've talked about Edge of Tomorrow and how the deja vu worked there. Basically, Cage's character, he's trapped in time loop. Every time he dies, he's reset at this one point. Um, what was the deja vu premise in Source Code? The deja vu, it was, it was a little less um, clean cut, Um but and it, it and was it was we I wouldn't, should probably are I we was about spoil to say, oh, source code? yeah I guess we kind of have to if we're going to talk about this uh, so it's basically hard uh, not to um, it is hard not to I, I I think we should say though that the premise with these two films is a little different because source code I believe is there it's parallel universes right. Yeah, yeah, it's um <laughs> that's the spoiler. Um so I think if you we'll try to stay light on the uh, spoilers for so, source code. Um however, it's it's hard not to. Um we we can't have this infinite crossover without. So if you don't want the spoilers for for the source code, um you can fast forward to the top 5 um and just look at the show, look at the info for this episode as the timestamp for the top 5. So just fast forward. Um however, if you um have seen source code, um check out the crossover. So yeah, you're right. So um 
there's, you know, there's multiple types of time travel. And um, you've got the fixed timeline time travel, which is no matter what you do, you can't really change the future. That's kind of Terminator 1 a little bit. Um, you've got the dynamic timeline, which is you can go back in time and change the future of the timeline. That's the back to the future premise. And then you've got a multiverse parallel universe premise, which is source code, which is um, 2009 Star Trek. It's unclear what Edge of Tomorrow is. It could be some type of dynamic timeline. It could be a multiverse timeline with parallel universes. They don't really make it clear in Edge of Tomorrow. No. No, but I think that they kind of leave it ambiguous deliberately. So you're not questioning too much. Yeah. (laughs) The other interesting thing about Edge of Tomorrow, oh, I'm sorry, about um, Source Code, is it's sort of this quantum leaping idea Mm -hmm. where uh, the soldier who um, came close to death has been... Um, his consciousness is being sent back into the body of another person eight minutes before that person died. And right. So it's also this it's a, it's definitely a puzzle slash mystery yes. because he doesn't know what's going on. He actually he when he even goes to see what he looks like, it's not him. So yeah. it's like terrifying. Yeah. Like he Which really is so quantum leap. Very quantum yeah. leap, um, you know, and. So, so the premise is a bit different, and the different, and the mechanism is v- different from Edge of Tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. Um, because it's not just that he's trying to overcome a lack of knowledge; he's also basically trying to figure out ex- like a whole mystery. Like he doesn't even have his own body that's familiar to him, you know. Yeah, and we're we're not going to debate really the the time travel aspects of this um if you're interested screen junkies had a great episode on movie time travel (laughs) this week we'll put a link in the show notes um it's kind of largely impossible so we'll just kind of put that to the side okay Um, but but i mean the the basic thing is is that so he gets put put back eight minutes before this horrific death happens yeah and and they're they're trying to what's the goal there they're trying to well well i guess we are since we are spoiling, should we go there? Yes, yeah, I guess. Well, let's just say he's trying to stop a bomb from exploding. Right. He's basically, he's been sent back to prevent a horrible disaster. Yeah. So this is uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. His character is being sent back. And this this film, we should also mention, in 2011 by Duncan Jones, who did the wonderful, wonderful Moon. Um, anyone who hasn't seen uh, Moon, you really must see that film from 2009. So that's kind of the premise there. So source, co- source code really develops into this mystery plot, I would say. Um, there is some character development. Um, the Deja Vu storyline really does play on some of the same ideas that Edge of Tomorrow does, where the main character is retaining knowledge of what's happening around him throughout his many respawns. And we see that with Tom Cruise's character. We see that with Jake Gyllenhaal's character. But Edge of Tomorrow, I feel like, is much more about um, a character leveling up and developing as a um, and again, kind of moving forward, whereas Source Code is really about figuring out not only the bombing, but also what is source code. Hmm. So the, the, the really 
the focus of both films is in very different directions. Right. I, I, yeah. Because Edge of Tomorrow really never gets into that mystery element of no. how, is, how is this possible? How did this war start? Where are these aliens from? None of that. It's it's all about the development of the Cage character and the knowledge development and, and how that character just grows in the movie. And I feel like Source Code is, is much more about the mystery itself, putting everything into that context. It's a little bit about the relationships specifically between... Um, the Jake Gyllenhaal character and his female lead, yeah, Michelle um, uh, Monaghan. Uh, but also, it's it's a it's a lot more about what you know. Um, he he eventually finds out what happens to himself in Afghanistan, and it's not pretty. Yeah, and it's really playing with a lot of moral issues and and ideas yeah. about what consciousness is and what what morality is there there's a lot of very deep issues that are explored in source code where i feel like edge of tomorrow is 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 a little bit more shallow in its in its cut so the use of deja vu is is in both films is used to show very different things well now you're getting at one of my favorite um favorite ways of understanding films which is um which film kind of left you with more to chew on which film gave you more big ideas to reflect on to think about to debate and uh, on the one hand source code was much more confusing um in terms of the timelines and what's happening um, it, and uh, in, in a good way, I would say, I, I think mm-hmm. a good, good time travel, uh, good science fiction can really leave you with many more questions than answers. Right. And, and it doesn't treat, I mean, and in this, we, we have discussed this before about, about certain films, but I, I really, I, I think uh, to me, one of the most successful things a director can do is not treat the audience like they're dumb. Yes. And I feel like Source Code didn't treat the audience like they were dumb. No, Source Code treated the audience as if they were very, very intelligent. And I don't know if I lived up to that that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> expectation, but um, I was definitely left. Um, the deja vu, as it was used, was exhausting, frustrating, um, really confusing. confusing. Um, but I think it was meant, to, like, I honestly think it was a mechanism to show how confused the Jake Gyllenhaal character was. Um, and so that you could see things a little bit more from his perspective. Um, in Edge of Tomorrow, I feel like it was used more to show the information that the character was gaining, to show the development of the character, to basically see all different angles about how he was solving this problem. Yeah. Um, and so to me, it was it was used well, but I feel like source code used it better um, in in the way that they were were trying to get trying to make you think, I think, I think yeah. as an audience. Uh, I, I got to agree with you here. I think it um, it left you with more ideas and questions. And, you know, Edge of Tomorrow, um, it's it's it's. It's not too different from um, from Groundhog's Day or Groundhog Day um, in that it's focused on a singular character and that character's development. But even then, uh, if if this was a um, crossover chamber with Groundhog Day versus Edge of Tomorrow, I would still give it to Groundhog Day because yeah. I think that film well it does um, the same a similar thing, honestly. 
yeah. that source code uses it. Um, it. It's showing you, it's not showing you, it's showing you the, the character and the frustration that the character feels um, as opposed to just showing you more information. Exactly. And we don't we don't see too much of the um, you were kind of talking about the emotional weight of replaying these days over and over again. We don't see that too much from Tom Cruise. It is there um, at some moments in the second act and and the final act. It's it's there a little, but um, it's um, it's not there too much. So I think if we're. I think we might be in agreement here with the um, what film uses better use of the deja vu premise. I'm going to vote source code. I am as well. So I think we have a bit of a mind meld. Yay. Yep. We got another mind meld here. Um, so um, do check out source code. If you if you listen to this and you haven't seen it, check it out. Um, I think it's a uh, it's uh, it's a great film. It has a few flaws. but It does. Uh, it does. But it, it did make you think afterwards. So I would yeah. I would recommend it. Um, yeah. So, all right, so we are exiting the infinite crossover chamber. Okay. <laughs> On to our top five alien invasion films. Um, Conrad, how'd you put together your list this week? Um, I cheated again, as I usually do. Um, but <laughs> um, did you I, use a game genie? How did you? Cheat? No, no, no. There's just one on my list that isn't technically a film, but I had to add it anyway. Um, I, I put things on my list that um, some I remember watching and thinking at the time that this was made, what an insane thing this must have been for people and um, how far reaching the influences of those films were. Um, I also put together films that I thought were a little bit clever um, and made me think a lot afterwards, um, some more than others. Um, In some cases, I did try to steer clear of things that we have talked about before. So obviously aliens would be on my list. Um, and Alien would be on my list, um, that whole franchise. But I've, I feel like I've talked about them an awful lot. So I, I just, I, I put them, all, I left them off. But you know, people, I hope would know that they would be there. Yeah, I, I tried to select films too that um, meant something to me um, and did make me think in some ways. Um, and I also tried to avoid films that I have talked about. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean I avoided films that you might have talked about. <laughs> That's okay. So so let's, uh, let's get into it. Um, what's your number five, Conrad? So my number five is my cheat. Um, and my number five is uh, the War of the Worlds radio broadcast uh, from 1938 by Orson Welles. Um, and basically he did a whole radio broadcast, um, with, uh, you know, it was, it was like, uh, it was like with people giving reports about alien invasions and things like that. Um, and you know, there was a disclaimer at the beginning, but, um, you know, they were basically just doing an interpretation um, or an adaptation rather of H.E. Wells world war of the worlds. Yeah. Um, and though some of this is apocryphal, apparently there was a mass panic. There was a huge reaction from media um, basically saying that people believe that this was real now, just because of the number of listeners, they don't believe that the panic that 
the media was was saying happened happened yeah. um but <laughs> this basically had legs i mean he yeah. uh orson wells chose to use this and and kind of use it as he used a lot of negative publicity to continue to market his persona <laughs> um, <laughs> but but you know there was a lot of reports coming in that people thought the world was ending and they were it caused a panic and whatever and and these rumors were were definitely exaggerated but i feel like you can't discount this particular incident so that's why it's yeah, on my I, list you know i'll give you that because um in the context of that time um radio was one of those forms of mass entertainment like film. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I think it um, it definitely belongs on the list. I'll give you the exception here. Um, I, I just I also want your quick thoughts on the Steven Spielberg um, War of the Worlds film. What did you think of that? You one? know what? I couldn't make it through it. Yeah. Uh, what is it about that film? Because I don't it, know. It didn't I just work for me either. I just couldn't even. I I honestly, and it's very very rare. For, I will sit through just about anything because it's sort of this challenge for me. Oh, yeah. I started watching this. I need to finish it. That was one of the few I just couldn't make it through. I tried at least three times to watch it, and I just, oh, it was so terrible. So, yeah. and, and, you know, Spielberg. So I was like really surprised, but yeah. But that's why the film was not on my list, the remake. <laughs> um, but interesting. And, you know, you can still actually hear the, um, I think YouTube has a bunch of recordings of the original um, broadcast, and it's it's kind of cool to listen to just from, and uh, This American Life did a segment on it, too, that's really interesting. So We'll put it in the show notes. I recommend. Um, so, yeah, that was my number five. How about you? Very cool. Um, I like that pick. So I am going with my number five is Attack the Block. Ah, uh, you know what? I really, uh, my younger brother forced me to watch this Yeah. Uh, over the holidays and I was so tired watching it and I was just like, what am I watching? I'm, I'm so psyched <laughs> that you picked this. Go for it. Yeah, this is, um, so I just saw this film probably about two months ago. Um, because, uh, the, the reason I watched it is because Joe Cornish, who's the director, um, he was, um, mentioned, uh, by JJ Abrams as someone who could be a great director for the next Star Trek film. So I was doing my homework as a good Trekkie does. And I wanted to see who is this individual who might be directing my beloved, uh, franchise. So, um, one of his last science fiction films and the film that J.J. Abrams really loves is Attack the Block. So um, Attack the Block is based... Uh, I don't think many people have seen it. No, came they haven't. In, it came out yeah. of nowhere. Definitely. It, <laughs> it most certainly has a cult following, though. Yeah, yeah, it totally does. Um, so it came out in 2011. Um, it's an important film to see, I think, because Joe Cornish has been involved in many things. He's um, He also was involved as a screenwriter in next year's Ant-Man. If it does come out next year, it might be delayed. We'll could talk about that in a future episode um but it also stars john boyega who is the lead in star wars episode seven um so we will be seeing more of um both uh, the individuals involved in front and behind the scenes of this film so it's basically a small film um it's like an hour and a half barely uh it, about this teen gang in south london who sort of um, has to end up defending their block from these invading aliens. It's done on a bit of a budget. And um, I just, um, 
it, to me, it reminded me of a lot of uh, films, science fiction films from an era gone by, um, from some of those teen, uh, or not teen films, but films in the 80s that were in, uh, about some of these ideas and were smaller films, not as much money. It reminded me of some things like Flight of Navigator and Short Circuit yeah. and, and things like that. Um, and for that, it was pinging some nostalgia, but it was also done in, in a way where it was talking about some class issues in London. And I thought it was interesting. Um, I thought it was well done. It is a little, you start watching it and you're like, what is this? <laughs> what is this thing I'm watching? I had some of that too. But um, I enjoyed it. Um, so it's my number five. Cool. It's it's hard to find uh, right now. You can't stream it on Netflix or Amazon. So I had to get it the old fashioned way as a disc through Amazon. Yeah. Or, my, I'm sorry. My, uh, Netflix. Yeah. My my, uh, my brother ha- had bought it. And so he was very excited to share this with me because he really likes nerdy films, too. So yeah. That was actually a really fun thing, um, and I'm glad I stayed up very late watching this with him. <laughs> All right, let's move on to our number four. What do you got, Conrad? Um, my number four is also more of a, I would say it's a classic. It's a its a cornerstone in my mind, um, but it is Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Um, oh, and which it's, one? Which one? Um, I have to go with the original because that spawned a bunch of, of different ideas. Um, there's definitely... A, and the original was in uh, 1956, um, but then, yeah. but then 1978 there was a remake, and then of course the horrific Faculty uh, was late. Oh, it was terrible. <laughs> um, but but this one was just you know, and it it holds up. It's terrifying the idea that that people are not who you think they are, um, that you can't trust anybody, that they're this creepy alien imposter. Um, just really uh, takes hold. Um, it's, it's a super creepy idea. Um, and then there's the obvious political connotations at the time. Yeah. The, the red scare, the red scare. So, um, and, and because of those things, because of the influence, you know, just in terms of the context of where it was and, you know, honestly, it did, it didn't do very well at the time that it was released and then has just gained a ton of momentum, um, and it ends up in a lot of people's top lists, I think, probably for the same reason it's in mine. Um, and it's part of Library of Congress's film archives and things like that. Um, and I really think it's a little bit of a time capsule. Like what was so, like basically um, encapsulating what was so terrifying to people at that time and and using science fiction as a vehicle to show it. Absolutely. Um, I, I think so many times the idea of aliens really become an analogy to the fear that we have right now. And um, we see that with Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Um, you know, science fiction does a great job of telling these stories um, in the context of the era in which they're created. So you're totally right. An invasion of the Body Snatchers is a is time capsule of that time. It's my number three, Conrad. Um, oh, oh! Yeah. <laughs> we just missed it. Just missed just it. Just missed it. I really love this film. Wait, um, was yours the same version, or you did you? Yeah, pick? yeah. Okay. 1956. Got to go with the original here. I love, I love how they like tiptoe and put <laughs> these little pods next to the people and like tiptoe. <laughs> so it totally cracks me up. It is. But, it, there is a huge like watching it. There is 
definitely a humor that we have watching it that I don't oh, think yeah. other people Which, did. But, yeah. but yeah, it is. There's it's like, camp- oh, how cute. Little pods. <laughs> yeah, it's so low tech in its mm-hmm. science fiction. But it's this, you know, the science fiction of the 50s and 60s is so interesting because mm-hmm. it does. It's a mixture of um, some of these fears of the Cold War. And once we get into the 60s, some of these bold ideas with the space race happening of, of where we might be. And that kind of takes us to films like 2001 A Space Odyssey, which we talk about in our Oscars episode. Um, I, I, I really love this film. It's, again, a very short film. Mm-hmm. If you haven't seen it, Go please it. do check it out. It's like 80 minutes. Mm-hmm. Come on. That's like, you know, not even an episode of Sherlock. <laughs> Go check it out. It's a fantastic yes. film. Not even an episode of... <laughs> Super fantastic nerd hour <laughs> and a half. I know. Sometimes, yeah. Yes, press a play button. Go watch it. You'll be done before you finish your nerd hour episode. Um, so my number four is a very different film. Um, it is Starship Troopers. Uh, <laughs> that's funny because that's my number three. What? Yeah, we, 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 we just crisscrossed our, our threes got, and our fours. We just inverse the tachyon beam. Of the super fantastic nerd hour starship. That's what just happened. That is exactly what happened. So (laughs) Starship Troopers. I can't wait to hear what you say about it. All right. Well, Starship Troopers, uh, I think it's a film we've mentioned in passing, but I don't think it's been on on any of our lists before. Um, 1997's um, film based on the original novel novel by Heinlein. Um, The novel and the movie are very different. The concepts are similar. Um, the novel, it's been debated how much Heinlein really believed in kind of some of these ideas of propaganda and militarism and all of that. But the film really approaches, mm-hmm. approaches the context or the content with um, satire and humor. And it makes fun of some of these ideas about propaganda. Uh, yeah, not to mention the reintroduction of NPH into, oh, yes. into the popular culture. I think like he, I think this was kind of the start of his return. Um, his, totally. sec- his second wind. I mean, you know, the, he was he was fantastic in this. Neil Patrick Harris kicked major insectoid butt in this film. You're totally right. This was the big thing we saw him in after Dookie Hauser, and his career has just taken off. Take took uh, gone. In every direction after that, we saw him in um, Harold and Kumar. We've seen him on Broadway. He just won a Tony for um, uh, Hedwig and the uh, and the Angry Inch, which was amazing. Amazing. He he was on How I Met Your Mother. So this this guy can do it all. And we saw him do a lot of humor, um, a lot of just fun character moments. And um, the, well, and, lo- and also he kind of played a jerk. Yeah, yeah. or an arrogant jerk or whatever in this and and nobody a had really but but people hadn't really seen that side of him before this film came out um yeah and you know i i thought that the way they ran this film because it really it felt like a, an overdone action film even as you're watching it the action scenes the dialogue felt a bit trite and yes. overblown and you're kind of like oh my gosh and then the big reveal at the end Yep. Which is just honestly had me just laughing, yeah, laughing hard and actually laughing every time I thought about it, yeah, for days. Just just <laughs> the fact that this was, uh, you know, all revealed to be this big propaganda film, yeah. Um, and it was it was very entertaining. I really liked, um, you know, 
I, I liked the battle scenes. I liked the bugs in this a lot. Oh, I love the bugs. And this was also really before we had the explosion of CG that we do now. So there was still a little bit of more traditional uh, special effects here. Um, that was well done. The production overall was great. The spe- um, the sets, the, um, the ships. Um, again, this is always, uh, I feel like this is my go-to nitpick, but um, we're talking about Edge of Tomorrow. The score was really not memorable, whereas the score here it was really fantastic. was fantastic it reminded me of some of that um that the world war ii propaganda films uh from hollywood and you know the the very heroic um very kind of romantic uh style of music um it, it was it was really well done um i think a lot of people m- m- didn't really pick up on the satire and they thought no. this film was being serious. <laughs> no, they didn't. So, um, those I mean, of you- I picked up on it and I just thought it was being snarky, but, and I had not read the, the book. So, um, and I, and I kept, you know, I didn't know about the big reveal at the end. So I kept thinking, wow, this is really, it's an overblown action film, but it just feels very propaganda you know, not realizing. Yeah. And then when the yeah. big reveal happened, I was like, oh, duh. Anyway, <laughs> um, but it was, it was fun. I still like it. If it's on, I will watch it. Same here. Totally. So, so. Totally. Excellent. So that was your, that was my four. That was your three. Yeah. Your four was my three. So let's head into uh, number two. Um, let me go first here. Um, I'm going to go with The Day the Earth Stood Still. Uh, that is an excellent choice. Not on your list? It is. I, I debated putting it on my list, but I felt like I wanted to, to sort of mix between um, classic well, and, and yeah. more moving to the future. It was on my honorable mentions. Cool. Well, I'm talking about, again, there's, I think, three versions of this film there um i'm going with the original 1951 the day the earth stood still there is a recent remake which is really bad um it's the one starring um keanu reeves so it's one of those films i saw started watching on an airplane and i'm like oh goodness i can't watch this and i skipped over to like the hangover 2 or something instead um and then i was like oh man this is bad too um but the original is like um invasion of the body snatchers it's it's about something in that era and um the film's basic idea is um revolves around themes of violence and this warning to humanity (laughs) about what will happen if humanity doesn't change its ways. Um, It's directed by the great Robert Wise, who, um, I mean, this guy, director of Sound of Music, Hmm? West Side Story, Star Trek, the motion picture, The Day the Earth Stood Still. He was also involved in the other, uh, the Andromeda strain. You know, just um, one of those legendary act, uh, not actors, directors um, in one of his earlier films. Um, Really, really like this original film. Um, It also has a very, very memorable uh, robot. The aliens send this robot. Um, Klaatu, is that, was that his name? I think so. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So uh, really a great film. Um, I think thinking about what was happening in that era, um, uh, the atomic bomb, uh, World War, World War II, um, the growing Cold War. Um, th- those themes are really, like you said, in a time capsule about that era. 
Well, and so it's interesting because, and I agree with you, I think that that is, is something that spawned all these different ideas. We've seen different iterations of this. Um, and that is part of the reason I picked the abyss, which you could kind of agree is a similar idea. Oh, totally is a similar idea. Um, Very I, different era, though. Different era. And, and part of why I picked it was for a couple of reasons. One is that um, I like the idea of an alien invasion film where the aliens are not the enemies um, and that they're actually judging us a little bit. <laughs> um, and if humans don't sort of stop their their um, their bad, their bad ways that that, you know, they're basically there to help as opposed to, and, and educate as opposed to take over. Mm -hmm. um, I also picked this because um, it was one of those films that it, while the effects weren't, you know, and if you watch it, it can be a little bit trying at this point. Uh, the director's cut gives a little bit more context to it um, that the the uh, theatrical release did not. Um but it can just because of the the their ability to show some of these things, it's a little bit cheesy. Um, but it is it was just one of those films that, despite the fact that it was on this one weird, strange set, which is all the way underwater, it was just fascinating and heartbreaking. And there 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 are moments between the characters, especially the Ed Harris character, um, that are just just so human um i feel like you were really thinking about it a lot and what you would do in in some of these different situations um that uh, you know there were some really beautiful moments in this and so it's definitely w one of my favorites you know you and i have talked about abyss a, a few times um on and off the show and i was talking to another friend of mine about the abyss uh, a couple of weeks ago i think i need to watch it again because the more i i think about it it's probably james cameron's hardest science fiction film in the sense that it's not as reliant on um action right. and special effects and, and more of the hollywood sort of sci-fi tropes mm -hmm. um and it does i mean admittedly it does have its holes it does have its plot holes there are parts that don't work but it was it just felt like he was really trying to say something with it yeah, um yeah. And, and you know it, it had a really incredible cast so um i i maybe we should have it for a movie night uh one I, night I, ollie I, I would love to because i haven't seen it in a long time and i'm a huge fan of sequest dsv oh i know um, it's so good and, and i've watched some of that recently and i'm like oh, oh. my oh, season I, two. <laughs> oh I, my i watched the whole thing over again because i love roshider obviously uh, um yeah. but it was it's 21st century. There's Man something about colonize the last unexplored. But region there's also Earth, something the about there's something about being under the sea, right? That's that's oh, so yeah. alien and weird and cool. Under and, the sea. Yeah. So anyway, that's that's my number two. Cool. Good pick. Uh, my number two, numero two. Oh, I already said it. Day of the Earth stood still. Yep. Um, all right. Um, number one, I guarantee you we're not going to have a mind melt here. Um, uh, okay. It's just not, it's not, not possible. happening. It's not possible because I went with aliens. Uh -huh. Nice. Okay. And, well, and I already said that I didn't pick it. So, okay. You already said you so didn't you pick knew, it. So you knew. I do. Um, here's why. Um, I... I haven't really talked about aliens too much on um, on the Super Fantastic Nerd Hour. I I really honestly believe Alien is my. Um, I think it's the. 
better, the best part of the whole franchise because I love the suspense elements of Alien. And the reveal, um, yeah, yeah. And the reveal. I, I love all of that. Now, if we're talking about Alien Invasion, though, um, I'll, I think Aliens is a better depiction of that. And you can argue, where's the invasion coming from? Is it humanity invading um, the xenomorphs or is it other way around? But I think the the common themes of the common action adventure sci-fi themes of alien invasion is done really well in aliens. So some of the other picks on my list are, you know, I've got a couple of uh, social commentary picks. I've got a satire. I've got a film that's uh, just kind of a silly, small alien invasion one. For my number one, I wanted to go with a big action adventure. And when it comes to that, I think James Cameron, again, on our top five list. <laughs> Interesting, right? <laughs> yeah, he does as well. Uh, James Cameron's 1986 Aliens, Booyah, um, is a great action adventure. Um, my number one was District 9. Oh, yeah, I, I should have expected that. This um, is one of your favorites. It is one of my favorites, but part of why it's here is because um, it was just a very good script, a very well done film. It shows a lot more versatility than I think it got credit for, um, even though it still made me ill watching it just because of the shaky cam. <laughs> Um, so it continues to be my favorite, despite the fact that it makes me seasick watching it. Um, I think that, um, just the ideas behind how humans treat each other, how they treated these creatures, how the creatures react to that, um, and how humans react to one of their own becoming one of these creatures is just all fascinating, um, in terms of how they handle it. Um, so it remains, it remains, um, you know, one of my faves, but... But this was this was a very hard list for me because I really like alien films, apparently. Um, So I have a few of my honorable mentions. Um, The Thing. Yep. uh, Signs. um, And then um, I said the the day the earth stood still. But um, I do have one kind of wacky one on honorable mentions, which is um, Plan 9 from Outer Space. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> if you've never seen it you should try to watch it it is just the very odd um it was bella lugosi's last film um did you ever watch it i a long time ago long time ago um directed by ed wood um very quirky strange director um yeah. this is not a serious alien invasion film although i i kind of feel like maybe ed wood might be an alien um it could be um but this is just a very odd it's odd that it even got made so so um and also the edward film that came out of a few years ago um was was excellent so I think um, the thing is a good pick. Um, one of our listeners, Justin Weathersby, uh, he mentioned the thing in regards to his top five list of, um, I believe, was it our monsters? Oh, uh, you know monsters? what? I, you know, even when I was thinking about our top five here and when I thought about the thing, I'm like, ah, oh, it should have been on my monsters list. Yep. So good call on that one, uh, Justin. 
your comment. Um, so yeah, good honorable mentions. Uh, mine are include Independence Day. Um, it wasn't on there because we I talked about it on my top five blockbuster films. Um, District Nine was also here. Um, I didn't put it on there because I thought we talked about it, but it's okay. It's on yours because it's one of your favorites. Um, the other one I put on here again, James Cameron. <laughs> I put Avatar on because it, what <sighs> I here's why. Here's why. Um, it's it's alien invasion with humans being the aliens um, invading yeah. Pandora, and that is an interesting idea. There are larger problems with Avatar, but it does do that storyline pretty well. Cool. I'll give it to you. Go for it. All right. So that is our top five um, alien invasion films. So listeners, please let us know what you thought of Edge of Tomorrow. Did it surprise you as well? Or could you just not get over Tom Cruise being Tom Cruise? (laughs) Um, Let us know what you thought of Source Code, um, as well as please share with us your top five alien invasion films. Uh, Check us out on Twitter at Nerd Hour. And um, we are on uh, iTunes as well as Stitcher. um, all places where lovely podcasts can be found. Um, Conrad, where can people find you on the interwebs this week? Uh, this week, I'm on Twitter, Die Prince, and my on my other podcast about undead things, Reanimated, and that is Reanimated Pod, Reanimated Doc Podcast. Sorry, Reanimated Pcast on Twitter, um, and ReanimatedPodcast.com on the interwebs. Absolutely. Um, and I am the science fiction psychologist at brainnewsbetter.com. Um, also on Twitter at Olima2. And um, I will be on um, a couple of panels at the San Diego Comic Con. So if you guys are headed there, please come say hi. And uh, I think that wraps up this um, alien time travel rific episode. It does. So until next time, live long and prosper. Indeed. <laughs>